Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. G-A-L-D-E-M. G-A-L-D-E-M. This song is good. Welcome to a brand new season of Growing Up with Galdem. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Nyala Arboyne and I'm the life editor at Galdem. And I'm Natty Kasimvala, former editor and longtime contributor at Galdem. Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. Each week, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Maliha Abidi is a Pakistani-American artist, author and neuroscience student. She was born and raised in Karachi, Pakistan, and migrated to California, United States at the age of 14. As an immigrant, her experiences play a huge role in her work. Her work mainly focuses on women's rights, mental health, anti-racism, travel, culture, and shining a light on societal issues. Her debut book, Pakistan for Women, Stories of Women Who Have Achieved Something Extraordinary, 
combines her passion for art and writing, bringing together stories of 50 women from Pakistan alongside their illustrations. Her latest book, Journey to America, 25 Immigrants Who Transformed a Nation, will be out in June. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Maliha. Your latest book, Journey to America, is finished, I hear. So congratulations to that. How are you feeling about it all? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm still kind of, you know, thinking about Rise because that just, which was like my second book, which just came out. It feels like it just came out, but yeah, it came out in October and then in the US it just came out. So still thinking about that a little bit. And for Journey to America, I think it feels really far to me. But now that you mention it and I'm thinking about it, it's like coming out in super soon. So, yeah, just feeling grateful to be able to, you know, tell stories through art and writing. And yeah, it's a passion of mine. So really grateful and excited. Mm, What's like one thing you hope the readers will take away from this latest offering? Do you mean Rise or Journey? I guess either or both. I think, well, with Rise, it's more personal and it's something that, you know, it took me two years to complete and there was a lot of research that went into it, even when just, you know, developing the concept of it. Whereas Journey was a work for hire. So even though I had contributed a little bit into the concept and what stories go into it, a majority of it was from the publisher. So whereas Rise was very much like, you know, my own baby. So it's just, you know, I feel more connected to the second book and just the journey of it all, you know, just writing and the illustration part of it and and the volume of the book as well. Like there are hundred stories. So just the amount of work that went into it as well. I think that also kind of made it a bit more special. But I think what I'd like people to take away, the readers to take away from the book is firstly appreciating that when we talk about diversity, many times we only see limited amount of stories being highlighted and majority of them are from the US or from the UK and not from other parts of the world. And of course, when we talk about diversity, it is talked about it's such a, you know, like, oh, people of color is equal to minorities, whereas in the world, globally, we're not a minority. Women are not a minority. So just, you know, being able to kind of really showcase that through a book and making sure that, yeah, we can talk about well-known stories that we're so used to seeing in the media, but we can also talk about lesser known stories that are just as impactful from other parts of the world and you know truly celebrate diversity and black indigenous and women of color from around the world and not just from select countries yeah it's so important to have those stories told so your first two books Pakistan for Women and Rise have had a lot of impact already and have received rave reviews one reviewer said for Pakistan for Women It's an amazing, simple and unique way for those living in or outside Pakistan to teach adults and children about the incredible women of Pakistan. The vivid palette and colours used make it a breeze to go through. How did the ideas for those books come about? And why did you feel the need to undertake this epic work? Yeah, thank you so much for that question, Naya. Well, with Pakistan for Women, I think it was 
like I didn't start that with you know that I want to write a book it was more like sitting in a cafe of a bookstore where I used to go often and it's really sad that during the pandemic that cafe closed down but I just used to see books like Rebel Girls for example which actually like pioneered such books where you have a portrait and then you have a short bio and like the artist in me was just really excited to see those books and you know always being able to discover new stories but then after a while I was just like oh there's like there are no like Pakistani stories or or only like story of like one or two people from Pakistan and at the same time I was seeing stories of like books coming out of different women and from you know different countries and communities and so I think I wanted to do like a series initially if I'm being very honest I wanted to do like an Instagram series where I'm celebrating stories of like 15 25 women from Pakistan and just kind of telling their story through through social media and that's something that I've been doing for 10 years now was growing up in the age of social media and just kind of like you know having that I want to say like almost like a mic in your hand in form of social media platform so with that I started to like write down the names of the women that I wanted to add to the social media series and then I started writing down the names of Pakistani women that inspired me and the list was supposed to be of 15 to 25 women. And then it became like a list of 80 women without me even like doing proper research and stuff. So which was like a clear indication to me that, OK, like, you know, there are so many stories to be told that I cannot possibly just do a series and then move on to the next thing. I really wanted to do something bigger with this. And so that's where the idea of the book really came from. And I'm just really grateful to have worked on that book and just you know it was very much like a self-initiated project like I didn't have a team or a publisher or anybody really like you know it was it was more like YouTube and <laughs> how do I get this published oh there's Kickstarter let me check it out so it was very much like you know not just the beginning of my journey as, as an author but also just learning about so much about the publishing industry as well and the lack of representation in it so so yeah, and when I was writing Pakistan for Women, I didn't think that anybody would really read it because in my mind, I was like, well, if anybody cared about reading such a book, it would already be published. And, but still I wanted to write it because I was like, okay, maybe a handful of people will read it or, you know, they would maybe learn something new about the stories. But also I wanted to make sure that we are slowly removing like the stereotype of this is what Pakistani women are this is what muslim women are and pakistan in itself is such a diverse country and we have so many different sorts of stories and different professions that women are you know really excelling in but even within pakistan there's such a issue of appreciating those women you know women educators activists scientists firefighters mountaineers you name it you know we have them all but just still again a huge lack of appreciation and so there were so many different motivations that I wanted to, you know, why I wanted to create the book and what kind of, you know, kept me pushing and in general, you know, kept me motivated to create it. Yeah, that's amazing. And you mentioned there that the book was self-published and pretty much entirely self-funded as well. 
which is so much work, more work than even I can wrap my head around. And I wanted to ask, like, what would you say some of the biggest challenges were for you throughout that process? And how were you able to kind of stay motivated and navigate through them to get to the end product? Yeah, thank you, Natty. Like now looking back at it, just thinking about the process, like I'm feeling so tired. <laughs> but, you know, I think one thing was, which was, I think, a blessing in disguise that I actually didn't know how much work it would take. So I was doing the work as the tasks were coming in front of me, if that makes sense. So, for example, like I started with creating the illustrations and writing the stories. And I was like, okay, that's pretty self-explanatory. Like, you know, I have to do those. Otherwise, I don't have a book, right? When I was, and like with the art, I'm a traditional artist. So with the art supplies that I used for the portraits, I was working at an art store at the time. So I used to get 30% off of, you know, employee discounts. So that was the total party. Like I was just so grateful. And I was a university student as well. So five days a week, I was at uni. And then two days a week, I was working at this art store and that's how I was able to buy the art supplies for 50 portraits that I that made it into the book. But of course, there were like so many failed portraits as well that nobody has seen. <laughs> so that was like the initial kind of how I funded the artwork. And then when I was close to finishing the artwork, I was like, oh, what's next? What do I need to do next? And that was when it hit me that, oh, like this actually needs to get published too. And I have no idea how to do that. Keeping in mind that I started this book when I was 21 and it was finally published when I was 23. And it was just really interesting, like exploring different ideas. I thought in terms of like publishers, you can just send them an email. I didn't know about the process of an agent and, you know, like submitting a manuscript or all of those different things that people in the publishing industry are very used to or an author needs to go through in order for you to become a professional author. I mean, I was sending on emails to all kinds of publishers and then this one publisher replied that we're not interested in publishing a book about Pakistan or for Pakistanis because nobody in Pakistan reads. And I was like... I was like, what did this person go through that, you know, like who heard them from Pakistan that they're saying such a thing and generalizing it because surely they had just like, you know, being ignorant. and uh, The whole of Pakistan. Yes. Yeah. That's so rude. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody in Pakistan reads. <laughs> and it was just like, it made me angry when I read it. But now looking back, it's just like funny to me. It's like, wow, I feel bad that you work in publishing. So I don't even know how many, you know, authors or works of just written works that you have, you know, like you have not allowed them to go forward just because of your bias or your own, you know, ignorance. But regardless of that, I was able to like, you know, go to Kickstarter because of the community and the support. I was able to have the funds and gather the funds to published the book, all of the money went into publishing the book again and printing it again. And I honestly thought that a handful of people will read it mainly from Pakistani community, but it wasn't just the Pakistani community that appreciated the book, but it was people from all around the world who were just as excited, if not more, to learn about stories coming from Pakistan. And I mean, it's something that I am really grateful and excited for and something that really inspired me 
and empowered me as a Pakistani woman myself because there were stories that I knew about, of course, but I didn't know the depth of it as well, you know? So just feeling like inspired on different levels. And that's incredible, a real labor of love. So moving on, we know that you work a lot in the NFT space, both as an artist and an expert, particularly with Women Rise. And you're often given the title NFT queen, which I love. Before we dive into this, can you kind of define for our audience what an NFT is? And to me, because I still don't understand. <laughs> well, <laughs> well now, if I'm being very honest, I don't think there is anyone who is an NFT expert. I'm definitely not an NFT expert and not an NFT queen as well. But I'm really grateful, again, to say that, you know, that we have an amazing community at Women Rise and it is a project that's very close to my heart. Yeah, like I am learning every day about NFTs as well. And so, yeah, definitely not an expert, but NFTs are basically these non-interchangeable unit of you know, data that is stored on the blockchain. And when we talk about a non-interchangeable unit or data stored, it can be a form of different digital assets or a digital ledger, if you want to call it that, or digital files. And they can be digital files as art pieces or music or video or architectural designs. And it's quite incredible because it can be sold and traded and it can be authenticated, especially if you're an artist and, you know, in the traditional art field, if I'm selling a painting for $100, but if my collector is selling that painting for $300, they are making the $200 profit and there is no way for me to like, you know, kind of keep track of my royalties or any way of like even getting any profit of that or knowing where my art ended up. But on the blockchain, you can trace it. But of course, there are so many other applications that the blockchain can be used for. I personally see it as a revolution for artists because there are so many hurdles that artists in the traditional field have to go through. So it's just quite incredible. But yeah, very much. I mean, you know, NFTs are an application of Web3, which is still being built. A lot of it may sound exciting and a lot of people also like to pretend as if like, it's happening right now, but we are at a very, very early stage of it all. So, you know, if you're somebody thinking that you have no idea what this space is, trust me, a lot of people who are already in the space feel the same way as well. And there's plenty of time for you to learn. So there's a lot that's being built and a lot to be excited for and to look forward to. Thank you. That makes me feel a bit better. Could you tell us a bit more about Women Rise? Yeah, for sure. So Women Rise, it's like it started off as an NFT project. And basically what that means is, you know, it started off as a project that had like 10,000 NFTs in it. And the concept of it is very similar to my traditional art where I'm creating portraits of women, where I am trying to tell stories of women. And it has turned into a community of all kinds of people from all around the world who are excited about amplifying various causes that impact women all around the world, amplifying you know, their stories as well and being able to contribute to change, uh, especially when it comes to girls' education. 
And with Women Rise, we've been able to contribute to four different organizations, Malala Fund, The Girl Effect, The Pad Project, and Soul of Afghanistan School. And we have contributed more than $110,000 to these four organizations. And we have different initiatives where, you know, for our community and different activations that we have. But our ultimate goal in, you know, the metaverse that's, of course, also is being built it's not here yet, that's being built, is to build a first school for the 258 million children who are currently out of school. 129 million of them are girls. So there's like so many different things that we're trying to do with Women Rise, and we are almost building as we're going forward, if that makes sense. So while we have a lot of aims and intentions, like we are trying to build intentionally, a lot of the things around technology, let's say, or a lot of the things around what is possible is still unknown and unpredictable and this space does move really fast so you never know what we set out to do but what we will end up achieving interesting i'm taking it i'm learning a lot at the moment and i know that there's a lot of conversations around kind of the metaverse nfts like the revolution behind it like you mentioned and then there's also i guess naturally non-believers as well or people who seem to have like these kind of assumptions about how it might affect or not affect like artists of colour, people of colour within in the same ways that capitalism and any real like capitalist system might work through like exploitation, accessibility, all of those kind of similar themes. I was really interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. And if you had any little bits of guidance that you would give to artists of colour who are looking to dive into the space. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean... Firstly, thank you for that question. 100%, the bias that we see in the traditional art field will very much still exist in the NFT space as well, regardless of whatever, like, people want to pretend that this is like a utopian land or, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Of course, there's so many incredible things about it, just like there's so many incredible things about social media and how it's able to connect people. But at the same time, the bias or the exploitation, like, it continues. And of course... Because, you know, like people who are, let's say, we're big in tech and Web2, Web2 meaning like Instagram, Facebook, big tech are the same people who are able to make it first in Web3 as well. So a lot of the structures will be similar. And that's why we need more people and especially people of color from around the world and not from select countries only so that we can onboard people early on and so that we don't make the same mistakes as we once did but also on the point of digital accessibility or the digital divide when we talk about the school at women rise it's not as simple as like oh creating a school in like one of the metaverse companies but it's also about bridging the digital divide because part of the reason why 258 million children are out of school at the moment is because of the lack of resources because they don't have a physical school building in their town or in their, you know, wherever they're living. They don't have access to books. They don't have access to internet. Especially with the pandemic, we saw that a lot of the students were able to hop on Zoom and continue their education, but then millions and millions were left without any education. And, you know, in in areas where education was limited anyway. So working on the digital divide and creating the school and also changing the culture around education when it comes to especially girls it's really important it's not just about again creating a school or bridging the digital divide it's also about like 
a cultural shift in a lot of communities that don't see any benefit in educating girls. But if we are talking about the benefits of educating girls, from being able to combat climate change to adding trillions of dollars to world economy, to a better healthcare system, to better economic situations for families, there's endless better health for women and girls around the world, decreasing the rate of child marriage. All of these are benefits to educating girls. And we can do that if we are using the innovation and tech that we have, the latest one that we have available. But of course, it needs to be done in like a phased approach because we cannot just talk about this and then like have a building in the metaverse or a virtual building and that's it. Like you need to make it accessible. And then there's also, of course, an entire hurdle of language as well. Like I often think about what is the word for metaverse or NFTs when it comes to Urdu, which is the language that I speak. And so it's very much being built and it's very much, you know, like, like people sometimes are getting ahead of themselves and think that it's here, but it's actually not. It's very much still like, you know, in progress. And there needs to be a lot of progress before we can brag about this space or before we can truly like, you know, call it something that we can be proud of. Thank you. I feel like I've learned a lot. Even though you say you're not an expert, I feel like I've learned from your expertise anyway. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now to move on to the next section. Yeah, it's time for your extract. So do you think you could read your extract? Okay. This one was funny, especially because like the things that were written around this. So 
yeah, I was just like thinking about this day. I very vividly remember this day. So, so here's the extract. Um, I asked Papa today if daughters are better or sons. He said daughters. And that made me feel better. But what is people's obsession with having a son anyway? It is so annoying whenever name of the relative I can say says that Papa should have a son. She never makes sense to me on why sons are important, but always just gives a vague scenario that she tries to back up by old religious stories. It's not that I'm not as smart as or as capable as Sodibai or Ailey or Maz or Mitch. These are the names of my male cousins. Abba says I'm smarter anyway. Abba is my grandfather. <laughs> so this is an entry from <laughs> my early teen years. And this is a very frustrating conversation that comes up a lot. I'm the only daughter. And my father is the oldest son to my grandfather. So it's just really... There's no kind of end to this argument, if that makes sense. And there is no explanation. Like, there is no, you know, kind of measure to why this is being said. But the I think the only kind of explanation they give is because it helps the family bloodline move forward. Is that even accurate? Yeah. So that's the explanation that I get. And then they try to back it up with like religion, whereas there's no such thing in Islam. So this is a very frustrating thing. And it's actually, the more I was researching for my first stories for my second book, Rise, I was coming across stories of women from China, from India, from Bangladesh, from a few African countries, from South America, and how this bias for daughter versus son exists in different cultures. So when I hear people say things like, oh, it's like in Islam, like, you know, just being able to forward, carry forward the family name or something, that's how I know it's bullshit because there's so many different cultures that say the same thing and you know sometimes it they give the excuse for religion but it's mostly just like you know I feel like there are a few reasons like why it once was a thing but now it's just sort of like it has carried forward and now people even it doesn't make sense to people and it's sort of like they're just okay with it but like most these sons are seen as the breadwinners of the house in my culture, girls are supposed to get married and go off to their husband's house or live with their in-laws sometimes. And so sons will be able to take care of parents when they're older. But, you know, like all of these different things, like just excuses after excuses, there isn't any like main reason for it. But this is something that I have really grown up with and it still bothers me to this day. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, the British royal family literally do the same thing. So I feel like... <laughs> definitely goes across yeah. multiple cultures what did it feel like now reading this extract years later well you know where I say what is people's obsession with having a son anyway so I at least have a answer for that because at that time my knowledge was limited therefore I didn't like it didn't make sense to me at that time and maybe I had accepted it for a while as well and I was like okay like you know maybe people just should have sons but 
reading it honestly it doesn't seem like that long ago because these conversations still happen around me all the time and if it's not directed directly at my dad it's directed at somebody else in the family i have a cousin she has a beautiful daughter and she hears this all the time and she told me this like day before yesterday and people don't really understand how this question of have a son <laughs> can impact people's mental health what if somebody is like you know going through you know fertility issues or the science of like it's really not up to anybody that what the gender of the baby will be but mainly like why is it considered a bad thing anyway like people don't reflect on it and it's really interesting but yeah it's like across different cultures and it's not limited to just one thing just people like make up stories and excuses to i guess justify their ignorance yeah it's so frustrating and it's something i like nice says it's kind of it's so pervasive and it's almost universal and you're so right in that it might have come from like these old traditions but like it's being carried forward without question but then i also found like the reassurance at the start that you get from your father really sweet to read and i wondered a little bit more about especially now hearing that he was also the first son of your grandson like what was your household like outside of that kind of societal pressure did it feel like that relative's obsession was like at odds with what you were learning growing up like did your dad kind of try to instill something different in you what was your childhood like well the best up thing was that these people never said it in front of my dad so it was always like oh yeah let's go talk to the child you know like it was just so weird and it's yeah and like my dad i don't think he ever kind of like because they never talked about it in front of him I have a very close relationship with my dad. I was the one who used to just go up to him and just, you know, just kind of ask him that like what is the reasoning behind it? And my dad is like very straightforward. He was like they're ignorant. They have literally no reason whatsoever. Like, yeah, and my grandfather, he passed away a few years ago and then he used to write a diary and my uncle, he saved one of my granddad's diary and in there he had written that he saw me as equal to 10 sons and today whenever that relatives brings up this argument that you know like my dad should have a son that uncle of mine just throws this in their face that or oh, don't you remember like our dad's diary so what he wrote and stuff but the thing is that even if like we don't talk about the comparison of like being equal to that many men or whatever i still don't fully understand how people justify this in their minds. Yeah, but from my dad's side like I never felt this pressure. I know there are women out there, women and girls out there who go through this even in US. You know, I have come across so many of my girlfriends that are, you know, oh my dad wanted a son so that he could play baseball with him. Like the most dumbest reasons, you know, it's like you can play baseball with your daughter too. Just yeah, just things like that, but I'm grateful to say that I never had that from like even for a moment from my dad. Usually it's always like the women that I come across in like my community that I hear these arguments from, but that could be because a man would never really talk about this. Yeah, I feel like it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, like 
I would never talk about something as private as like having kids or something in front of like the opposite gender kind of a thing, you know? So it's not necessarily that they don't share this thought process, but because I feel like a lot of the pressure that sometimes women face of having a son, whether they're saying it to others or whether they're taking the pressure to themselves comes from men as well. Yeah, it's also like inherited, isn't it? And it's like that kind of same thing of like, if I've experienced this kind of complex that makes me feel inferior, I have to kind of justify and uphold it in order for it to make sense. And so therefore I pass it on to you as this beautiful gift of like, I want to make you feel the same almost, whether they understand that it's wrong or not, you know? Yeah, but super, super interesting. And we did actually have a question as well about that kind of like comparison, obviously coming from like a more global perspective, you've lived in the UK, the US, and there's this kind of perspective or perception that these kinds of severe patriarchy exist in like the global South and like that's over there and we are, you know, like we're better over here. And I wanted to hear what your thoughts are on, I guess, just the different ways that patriarchy can present itself and exist across the globe and how how you've kind of navigated through those differences. I definitely think that no place is better than the other, if that makes sense. Like when I never thought that when I moved to United States, oh, this is like so much better than Pakistan. I had a miserable experience, not exactly because of patriarchy, just because I moved to US like at a very young age. And so I was homesick and the culture shock and just being a teenager and just like not speaking the language that well, like not being that fluent in English. And then having some of like my schoolmates like make fun of my accent as well and like all of those fun things you know and then slowly I was coming across like the state of you know how Muslims are treated in this country how immigrants are treated how black indigenous and people of color are treated and it is honestly like the issues that we see in the U.S. they have almost traumatized me to a point where if somebody asked me that will you ever move back I travel there often for work, but I don't think I will. Yeah, just because there's not a break in the incidents that negatively impact communities of color in the United States that a long enough break that I can even consider that anymore. Not to mention how every broken system in the United States impacts people of color the most and people from, you know, underprivileged backgrounds the most. And I think that's something that perhaps either privileged people in the U.S. don't want to face or they think the others like who are outside of the U.S. don't notice it. And yeah, so it's just there's so many like issues that we can talk about that I feel like there is no comparison because there are issues in the, U- in the U.S. and there are issues in Pakistan and there are issues in the U.K. And similarly, you can say like good things about these societies and these countries as well but honestly like they're all so different and they impact people of color the most like even in Pakistan if there is let's say a humanitarian crisis is going to impact women and children first and foremost you know so even if majority of the people in Pakistan are all brown people people of color but still it's going to be then women and children getting impacted by it most or members of the LGBTQ plus community are getting impacted, or ethnic minorities, because again, Pakistan is a diverse country. And when we talk about the US, it's communities of color, 
immigrants, members of the LGBTQ plus community, and is the same in the UK as well. It's like different issues in different places. So I feel like there is no comparison. It's just like there needs to be a lot of progress that needs to be made. Yeah, I feel like when you've got intersecting identities, you can't just like leave one at the door. They're all interacting with each other all the time mm-hmm. and change depending on yeah where you are. Finally, what advice would you give to that younger self who's kind of grappling with this idea of the value of daughters compared to the value of sons? I feel like I want to say a few things. I want to say that firstly, don't be discouraged by this, but also don't be motivated by this if that makes sense so by motivated I mean don't let this be something that you know that kind of burns you out because you're trying to show that you are just as good because you are already but like even before you try you are like this is like just a made-up concept in people's minds and like we talked about this is across societies communities it doesn't really matter where what what place we're talking about this is like a global thing so that's one thing because I was somebody who kind of used it as a motivation and still at the end of the day even though whether I'm comparing myself to like my male cousins or you know whether I'm comparing myself to sons around me and you're not really looking for your own approval if you get into that cycle if that makes sense you're actually getting trapped that looking for that answer why is this like and you can give them the all the answers but they weren't asking a question in the first place so they're not looking for an answer it's not that it was a question from them of are daughters better than sons no it was a you have a son you don't have a reason for it blah 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 so don't get stuck in that cycle secondly there is no such thing as like any gender or their value being better than the other especially when they start giving reasons of like financial contribution and you know like all of those things it's just not justified as as simple as that is so yeah and I feel like more than the women out there who may be dealing with this that oh why my daughter I feel like I want to say something to the parents who may be also feeling this pressure from the society, from the community, because I have seen horror stories, if I'm being honest. Like I have seen, I have read about, I have come across stories where people literally kill women because they're unable to have a son, as if like it's up to them, not understanding the signs, not understanding anything. Women have been divorced in the most, you know, in societies where if you're a divorced woman, it's seen as a stain on you. So then you're, you know, like socially unacceptable on another level. So firstly, you're unable to have a son and now you're divorced as well. So, you know, like just being a nightmare for women. So like parents who are out there who may be dealing with this thing, like this is, there's no basis for people to, like people who are saying this to you, just ask them, like, what are your basis, you know? Just revert the question back to them. Don't see it as a failure on your end just because you have daughters. Like I think in Islam, actually, people who try to back it up with religion, in Islam, actually, it says that daughters are a blessing. 
So any child is a blessing. So it's like whether people are trying to back it up with religion, whether they're trying to back it up with whatever bias they have, it doesn't exist. It's all in their head. Like I can honestly go on and on talking about this, but just don't don't allow people to even say this to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And what do you think your younger self would think about where you are today? <laughs> I think... I have no idea, actually, because my younger self was dealing with a lot. (laughs) So I don't think I often had the time to sometimes like think about the future as such. But I think I'd be happy and just feel grateful. Honestly, at a different time, I may give a completely different answer to this question because I may be because I'm thinking about that time when I wrote that entry, you know. So if I'm like thinking about a completely different time when I was young and you know in a different mindset I think my 17 year old self would be very happy and you know because at that time I started taking 16 17 I started taking my art really seriously and I had a lot of different goals that clear vision of what I'm trying to contribute through my art and through my writing so just seeing that after 10 years as well I've been continuing on this path so yeah it's just I think I'd be grateful overall Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, th- I think it's interesting, right, because it's one of those conversations that is at various different levels, depending on the country that you're in. And it can seem like, mm. and I think Maliha kind of touched on this, but it can seem small or big depending on your context and how much weight it's given in your community it kind of reminded yeah. me of these stories i had heard especially about countries where like oh this might sound really ignorant does china still have the certain number of babies rule not anymore not anymore. but i remember in geography learning about that and how it impacted this literal safety of female babies because it was this pressure to only birth mm. sons because of this restriction you know and it's something that it's like I said, it's so pervasive. At one point, it was so universal that you almost forget that, like, it's a danger. It's a very dangerous myth to perpetuate. Exactly. And happens mm. definitely here in the West. But I, yeah, I thought it was really interesting that how, like, gender discrimination or, like, the patriarchy and how it kind of feels different depending on where you are. I'm going to have a completely different experience in Jamaica where everyone looks like me than I will with my gender, I guess in the west and you can't separate those intersections I thought that was yeah really interesting it makes it really hard to compare almost yeah and I also loved what she said about obviously not listening to any of it because it's all rubbish but also not allowing it to be the only fuel that pushes you forward to prove your value I like that because I think that we can because you're still working from the same yeah it's still defining you in a sense you know so I think that's a really key thing that Mm. in all walks of life whatever kind of discriminations that you're facing yeah making sure that you are not only pushing yourself forward to reject and to prove wrong all of these Mm. stereotypes that are Mm. put on you yeah that was solid advice this has been an ii studios production thank you so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode you can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Gaudam events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at Gaudemzine for the latest independent news and culture. 
or visit our online website, which is gal-dem.com. Don't forget, if you love this episode of Growing Up With Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.